heart. And I'm going to ask you, if you have a Bible with you, to look at the passage we're looking at today from Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. If you're using this Brown Pew Bible, it's on page 727. And when you found that, would you stand together with me and I'll read this passage for us. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Luke writes this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is from his temptation in the wilderness. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus was a church boy. And he stood up to read. Verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. That's not weird. Uh, in this cultural context, preachers sat down to preach. I, I toyed with the idea of doing that this morning. I didn't think it was helpful. He rolls up the scroll, gives it back, sits down. Now, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us quickly and ask the Spirit's blessing now on this time as we spend in His Word. Spirit of God, we believe this is a word that you inspired to be written, and because you inspired it, it is a living word that you want to speak to us this morning, something uh, that we need to hear. I believe you've drawn each person here for a reason, and that you have this message to give to them. I pray that you would apply it in just the way that it's needed and just the place that it's needed. And God, that you would, uh, as we've asked, bring about a transforming work. Uh, you tell us when you send out this word, it doesn't return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. God, accomplish that purpose in each one of us today. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Well, there are all kinds of places in life where we can miss out on the full experience of something because we overemphasize one aspect of it to the exclusion of the other. An example of this would be someone who would say something like, the best defense is a good offense. Do you know that? The best defense is a good offense. And, and, and it's not everything, but in a sports context, what people mean when they say that is that if I just have a strong enough offensive strategy, I don't need to worry about a defensive strategy. Hey, hey let, let the opposing team worry about that as I rain down my offense all over their faces. The problem with that is that if you see winning in sports as being only about an offensive strategy... What's going to happen more often than not, not exclusively, but more often than not, you're going to be the one getting scored on. Uh, you're going to be the one getting knocked out, choked out, whatever. Or how about this? Sex is not a big deal. It's just 
Two people coming together to experience pleasure. That's it. By which what most people mean is, look, don't overcomplicate something like sex. It's, 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 you're overthinking it. Okay, It's just about two people acting on their base primal instincts in a way that's pleasurable for both and with no strings attached. The problem there is when you see sex as being only about pleasure, what you find more often than not is that you end up carrying and also causing a whole lot of emotional damage. And you probably end up with a backseat full of kids as well. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. You flip it around. It's no better. If you see winning at sports is only about defense, if you see sex is only about procreation, you end up with equally unfulfilling results. No, in the end, the key is not to look on these things as being exclusively about one emphasis or the other at all, but as requiring both in order to experience them fully as they were intended. So we're continuing this series, as I said, this morning, Joy of Every Longing Heart, looking at how the coming of Jesus to earth fulfills some of the deepest longings of the human heart. And this morning, we're looking at how the coming of Jesus fulfills our longing for freedom. Something that I think that's a longing that every single person in here can identify with. We, we feel that longing for freedom in like a thousand different ways. Everywhere from, from the woman who is, feels enslaved by the effects of a debilitating illness, uh, the man who feels trapped in his addiction, uh, the university student who feels enslaved by just a never-ending list of assignments and responsibilities. We, we all know what this idea to some degree feels like of a longing to be free. And just to help us, I want to help us this morning to keep this out of the, the abstract and the theoretical and, and in the personal and present and everyday. And so what I want to do is I want us to take a minute and think about what does this mean for you? What does it actually look like for you? I want us to take a minute right now in this moment and complete this sentence, which we're going to have up here. I want you to fill in the blank for this sentence. This morning, I am longing to be free from... What? What's that for you? What would you fill in that blank with? This morning, I know me, I am longing, I need to be free from what? Take a minute right now and just think about what, what that would be for you. Okay, you got it? I'm not going to ask you to share. Don't worry. What is it for you? Hold on to that thing now. Keep it in your mind. Hold on to it because as we dig in here this morning, what I want to try to show you from our passage here this morning in Luke 4 is how the coming of Jesus to earth means that that longing for freedom can be fulfilled in him. That you can know freedom in those circumstances. But, depending on what you wrote in that blank for you, that immediately leads us to ask a question. Namely, when Jesus reads this passage in that synagogue about, uh, from Isaiah about freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, uh, release for the oppressed, and then he tells everyone that scripture is fulfilled in him, does he mean like physical freedom? Like prisoners actually getting out of prison? 
blind people receiving their sight, oppressed people being released? Does he mean that? Or is he strictly speaking of these things in a spiritual sense? Which is it? Because the answer is going to have a direct bearing on whether or not Jesus can bring about freedom for my thing that I put in that blank or not, right? So which is it? Does Jesus, when he reads that passage, does Jesus bring physical freedom or spiritual freedom? Ready? I'm going to give you the answer. The answer is yes. Yes. And that right there demonstrates the problem as it relates to what I just said as we began this morning about how we always tend to want to overemphasize one aspect to the exclusion of the other and then miss out on the fullness of what's intended. Because depending on your starting point, anyone who reads this passage in Luke 4 is going to make a decision based on that starting point of what Jesus means. They're going to see Jesus as speaking exclusively about one or the other. He's speaking about spiritual realities. No, 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 he's speaking about physical realities. This is a passage about salvation. No, it's about social justice. Now, interestingly, in Jesus' day, they saw the fulfillment of this passage in Isaiah as being primarily about a physical freedom, particularly freedom for them. Uh, as God's people. Today, when you hear this passage preached, it's almost always, or very often, and it presented as being primarily about spiritual freedom that Jesus brings. And yet, just read through the Gospels. When you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, you see all over the place him fulfilling both. He's fulfilling physical longings for freedom, but also spiritual longings for freedom. He's doing both of those things, which I think means we actually miss the fullness of what Jesus intended when he said this scripture was fulfilled in him, if we see him as only or even primarily, meaning just one type of freedom or the other. Jesus said he came to fulfill both, which is probably good news to you if you're here this morning and you thought that Jesus was primarily concerned about spiritual realities, but couldn't really do much about the physical longings for freedom that you're experiencing today. And it's also good news if you thought that Jesus is primarily concerned about bringing about physical freedom, but can't do anything really about the spiritual longings for freedom to bring us back into a restored relationship with God. Jesus says, I came to fulfill both of those longings. This longing is fulfilled today in the hearing of these people. And in order to help both of those realities just kind of sink down deep into our hearts, particularly whichever reality doesn't match with your particular starting point, I want to spend just a few minutes here looking at how Jesus' coming fulfills these longings for freedom. So we're going to talk about longing for spiritual freedom, and then longing for physical freedom, just those two things. Longing for physical freedom and longing for spiritual freedom. So if you close your Bibles, would you open them again back up to that passage in Luke 4, beginning at verse 14. Just follow along with me as we look at how the coming of Jesus fulfills our longing for freedom. Hey, Adam, I'm going to ask if you can just turn down my gain a bit on this. I'm getting kind of crazy... Thank you. So let's talk first of all about how the coming of Jesus fulfills our longing for spiritual freedom. 
Longing for spiritual freedom. Now, it's probably a good idea to just take a minute and define what I mean by that, what I mean by spiritual freedom, because we might have no problem at all understanding what it means for someone to be freed from physical captivity, freed from like a hostage situation or something like that. But it might be asking, it might be worth asking how somebody could be held captive, how somebody could be a hostage in a spiritual sense. What does that look like? There's lots of places we could go to in the scriptures that would describe or, or illustrate that. But one of the clearest statements that I think we have is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, where he writes this. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So ultimately, what Paul is describing there is how the one we obey, literally, you could think of it as the thing that we worship, the thing that we serve, the thing that we sacrifice for, that becomes like a a slave master. It becomes a slave master to which we are held captive. And from the moment that we read about in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve doubted God and trusted the serpent, if the Bible is right then that means that the bent of every human heart since then has been to obey sin rather than God. It's the reason why, as Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, and we've experienced in our own lives, it's the reason we keep failing to do the good stuff that we know we should do, and we keep doing the stuff that we know we shouldn't do. We, we, just, we can't seem to be free from this spiritual captivity, which shows us, what? Listen, whether we recognize it or not, every single person is longing for this spiritual freedom. Why? Well, because we're all captives and slaves to sin. Which is why it's such good news. When Jesus shows up 2,000 years ago in a synagogue in Nazareth, reads this incredible prophecy from Isaiah about freedom from captivity, and then declares, he's come to fulfill it. He says, I'm... This is fulfilled today with my coming, with me being here. Because you see, this is what the people of Israel in particular had been longing for since that day that Adam and Eve had rebelled against God and God's good creation became enslaved to sin. God had promised to send a rescuer. He promised to send a Messiah, which by the way, that word means the anointed one. The very language in that first verse in 18. This anointed one who would come and free us from our captivity. And just like we saw two weeks ago with uh, the shepherds showing up to those, or the angels showing up to those shepherds out in the field, now Jesus' good news of great joy, to this synagogue anyway, is that I'm here. Now he's saying, I'm the one, I'm, I'm here. I've showed up, that rescuer that God promised all those years ago to come and fulfill your longing for freedom. That's me. Hi. Now, I don't know, if maybe I'm just a more skeptical person, but I think if I'm sitting in this situation, you'd think people would have been a bit more, really, a little bit more distrusting of someone just showing up in a synagogue and saying, oh yeah, these uh, fulfillment of these messianic promises from the Old Testament, that's me. You'd think people would be a bit more like, really? I don't know. But when you keep reading in this passage, verse 22, you see that initially anyway, Jesus' declaration about himself was deeply compelling to people. They, they believed him, and they were overjoyed at what he'd come to do. Look at in verse 22. 
just beyond our passage. Listen, it says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Which, by the way, that's not a, that's not a slight against Jesus' family. That's just these people from his own hometown being like, that's, that's the kid we saw growing up here. Isn't he Joseph's son? Oh, you mean the guy that made all our kitchen tables and chairs? Yeah, that's his son. How, how does he have all this? How does he speak with such authority? Speaking like one who's been trained in the scriptures. He's coming from a poor family. How's he doing this? It's am- they're amazed by it. Now, yes, when, when you look in verses 14 and 15, the beginning of our passage, you see that Jesus' reputation had already been spreading like wildfire everywhere since he'd come back from his temptation in the wilderness. So it's not like Jesus is this random guy off the street. He, people have heard about him. They know about him. But for whatever reason, there's all kinds of other places where people are enraged by Jesus saying he's the Messiah. Here, they're open. They're open to receive Jesus' self-declaration and the freedom that he said he came to bring. And here's the thing for you and I today. If we too can receive Jesus' self-declaration about himself as the one who's come to fulfill our longing for freedom and believe him, then that means we too can know the hope of the freedom that that he's saying he came to bring. We can know it for ourselves. And like we've been talking about here this morning already, the first way that we're seeing Jesus brings about this longing for freedom is to offer us spiritual freedom. He offers us spiritual freedom. Now, when you read those descriptions in verses 18 and 19, it might not be immediately apparent uh, how that is spiritual, how that's spiritual freedom. But now that you understand at least the concept of sin as slavery, hopefully that helps at least begin to bridge the gap and you can begin to see how those descriptions could also be describing various forms of captivity to sin from which we need to be freed. Look, first of all, at verse 18. He talks about preaching good news to the poor. Now, yes, being poor, that's a socioeconomic status, but it also has spiritual significance in that it can also describe our spiritual poverty before God, our inability to ever repay the debt that we owe for our sin. He's come to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor, to those who are spiritually unable to repay their debt. So Jesus is saying here, he's come to bring about the payment of that debt that we could never accomplish, that we could never pay on our own. Look at these next descriptions. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the, the blind, release to the oppressed. What's interesting to see is that while these could easily be seen as Physical realities throughout the Bible, these are also metaphors that are used frequently to describe our captivity to sin as well. Uh, Places like Galatians 3, 2 Timothy 2, Paul speaks about the whole world being a prisoner of sin, but how we're held captive by sin and the devil. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul again speaks about the God of this world blinding the minds of unbelievers. Quote, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And finally, all through the Bible, when you hear about people who are possessed by evil spirits, by demons, they're spoken of often as being oppressed. They are the oppressed that need to be released. 
So the point is, again, these are undoubtedly referring to physical realities, but they also describe in vivid imagery our longing to have freedom from our equally real captivity to sin. It's what led Paul to cry out just a little bit later in Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? Who will free me from this body of sin and death? And then he goes on to answer his own question by replying, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. By which he means what? That although I can do nothing in my own strength, in my own ability to rescue myself, I can be delivered through Jesus Christ, through that rescuer who came to free us from our captivity to sin, from our captivity to death. This is why it's so fitting, I think, that Jesus would finish off this reading in Isaiah there in verse 19, proclaiming, he says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It might not be immediately apparent to us, but to a Jewish person, the year of the Lord's favor was a a term they would have seen as synonymous with another term called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was the year of the Lord's favor when every 50 years God commanded this celebration that would take place where at least three things would happen. Listen, there would be uh, rest from all labor. There would be slaves would all be freed. And debts would all be forgiven. That's what took place in the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. And if you didn't know, that word Jubilee in Hebrew means the trumpet blast of liberty. They would often blow a trumpet to signal the beginning of this celebration. The year of Jubilee, the trumpet blast of liberty. I don't know what you are struggling with particularly, this morning, what you're exhausted from fighting against right now. But if you completed that sentence that we talked about this morning of something that you're longing to be freed from with something that is a sin, some kind of addiction, some kind of struggle, bitterness, lust, inability to be to forgive others, whatever it is you put in that blank, I pray that you would hear Jesus' proclamation of freedom here that he speaks over your captivity. A freedom that he purchased with his own blood shed on the cross like a trumpet blast of liberty this morning. You would hear Jesus' proclamation for you like a trumpet blast that brought down the walls of Jericho. Like a trumpet blast, like a a soldier hears at the end of the day that signals the all clear and that they can rest in safety for the night. That's the kind of freedom Jesus came to bring about from our spiritual longing for freedom. I pray that you would know that this morning and hear that spoken over your longing. Last thing I want to look at together this morning is also though how Jesus fulfills our longing for physical freedom. Our longing for physical freedom. And we need to talk about this because for every person who filled in that sentence about longing to be free with some kind of a sin problem, there's another person who filled in that sentence, that, that blank with a longing to be freed from some physical problem. And listen, that doesn't mean at all for a second that that person doesn't think they need to be freed from spiritual bondage, spiritual captivity. It just means maybe you're saying, I I believe I have received that freedom. I, I, I know that I have that freedom in Jesus from my captivity to sin. I just have this physical problem right now that I'm longing to be freed from. And remember, in in Jesus' day, again, 
People of Israel absolutely saw this prophecy from Isaiah as having a primary physical fulfillment when the Messiah came. They saw a warrior king who would come and free them from whatever captivity they were physically, literally struggling in there, whether it was the Egyptians, the Romans in Jesus' day. They, they thought the Messiah would come and just free them. He would bring them freedom from this captivity. It's undoubtedly why a few chapters later in Luke 7, John the Baptist, he's still in prison, and he sends two of his disciples to go to Jesus and say, are you the one that we should be expecting? Are you actually the Messiah, or should we be expecting someone else? Why would he ask that? Well, because Isaiah's prophecy says pretty clearly there, freedom for the prisoners. And John is like uh, looking at his Bible, looking around. Okay, I'm still here. I'm still in prison. So how could you be the Messiah? He, we, it's supposed to be physical freedom. He absolutely expected that. But if you look at the reply that Jesus sends back to John the Baptist, it's very intriguing. Listen, he says to these disciples, Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. You notice anything missing there? Even if you don't, John sure did. <laughs> i tell you what, he, he recognized some missing pieces there. So I bet you he heard that reply and he thought, okay, okay, thanks guys, awesome. Like, I guess he really is the Messiah. He's doing all these things. But I bet you two seconds later, he's like, I just, I just wanted to ask you one question. Did, did you say anything else? Like, is there something, like, just check your notes again. Is there anything that he, did he say any other parts there? No? Okay totally baffled as to like why he wouldn't include those parts which meant what that jesus couldn't actually free him from prison uh i mean he could fulfill all those other longings those other physical things he did heal blind people he did raise dead people he, he did all those other things was jesus just not able to fulfill this longing for john like i don't like to get involved in political processes i don't want to mess with those things uh, we know that can't be the reason because in the book of Acts, we see at least two clear instances where Jesus does that exact thing for Peter and then later for Paul and Silas. He breaks him right out of prison. So ultimately, I think the message that Jesus is sending back to John in his prison cell is this. Yes. Yeah, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah that, that Isaiah was prophesying about. I absolutely have the power to fulfill your longing for physical freedom right now. But don't fall away. Don't lose your faith in me if my fulfillment of that longing doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. And if you follow Jesus for any length of time in your own life, you've undoubtedly heard a similar reply from Jesus yourself at times as you wait in your prison cell of whatever you feel captive to, Longing for freedom. Maybe you wrote something like depression or anxiety in that blank that you're longing to be freed from this morning. Maybe you wrote financial strain. Maybe you wrote uh, something like fear of failure. I'm, I'm longing to be freed from these physical things. 
I mean, we know we've been praying now for two years for our friend, Dr. Ken Elliott, who's in literal prison captivity right now as he was abducted by Islamist, Islamic militants. He's sitting in captivity. Why hasn't God brought about freedom from these things like we know and believe he can? What we need to know in those moments of longing for freedom that seem to remain unfulfilled is that it's not at all that Jesus can't bring about freedom or that he won't eventually do it. It's not that at all. And listen, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, again, you see he is able to bring about those freedoms. He can do it. And there's tons of people in this church, myself included, that would say, yes, Jesus is able to bring about physical freedom. There are people that he's raised back to health. There are people that were told they never walk out of the hospital, that they've walked out of the hospital. There's, there's all kinds of ways he can bring this physical freedom. Okay, so it's not at all that he can't or that he won't eventually. But when those longings remain presently unfulfilled, we need to know that when our faith is truly put in Jesus, we are free. We are free regardless of whether he changes the present circumstances which we are suffering under or not. And isn't that what we just sang this morning in that last carol? Our fathers chained in prison dark were still in heart and conscience free. Which means what? That ultimately there is a freedom we can still know and experience through Jesus regardless of whether or not our circumstances are changed presently. That there's a, a surety, a, a assurance that comes when we have the spiritual freedom that allows us to be freed and, and to feel free regardless of whether or not our physical circumstances are changed. You see the Apostle Paul demonstrating something like this, 2 Corinthians 12, where, remember, three times he pleads with God to take away his thorn in the flesh, whatever that is. And with each request, God's reply is, no, no, I'm not going to free you in the way you're expecting, Paul, but my grace is sufficient for you. That is, my grace is going to allow you to still live freely in the midst of those circumstances, even though they remain unchanged. Why? Trusting that I have a good purpose that I'm accomplishing right now in them for you. I don't know what you're struggling with today, what you feel exhausted from fighting against right now. But if you completed that sentence this morning, it had anything to do with being longing to being freed from some physical struggle. I pray that you would also hear the proclamation of freedom that Jesus gives here, spoken over your captivity, a freedom he purchased with his own blood on the cross as a trumpet blast of liberty. Not necessarily a freedom from your circumstances, but a freedom secured in him that is true, that, that you can know with certainty whether or not he changes your present circumstances or not. Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release 
the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. An, an incredible proclamation of freedom given by the one who'd been sent to bring it about. A freedom for our spiritual longing as well as for our physical longing. I hope you're at least beginning to see how we need to hear both of those emphases of Jesus' proclamation in order to truly understand the fullness of the freedom he came to bring. And yet, for all that I've been saying this morning about the importance of seeing both sides, both aspects of how the coming of Jesus fulfills our longing for freedom, there's a powerful truth that we need to take with us this morning as we go in considering an aspect of Jesus' proclamation that he actually leaves out. It's something that every commentator I read uh, highlighted in this passage. And it's found when you look at the reading Jesus gives from the prophet Isaiah there, and you look at where he stopped reading. In Luke's gospel, look, we get to Jesus makes all these statements about freedom, recovery of sight, release for the oppressed, and then verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then there's a period there, right? Jesus hands back the scroll, goes and sits down to preach. But when you go back to Isaiah 61 and read the passage that Jesus is quoting from, you read this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That's the full quote. But for some reason, Jesus stopped reading it to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and didn't say, and to proclaim a day of vengeance of our God. Now, why would he do that? Why would, why would Jesus conceal the fullness of what the Messiah had been sent to bring about? I believe the answer is because Jesus knew at this coming... He'd been sent, actually, to take vengeance of God against sin himself. Not to bring it. To bring about the freedom he was proclaiming, he knew he would have to suffer the wrath of God against sin himself. There's no other God like this. One who would justly punish our offenses against him and then also graciously take the punishment for those offenses upon himself in order to secure our freedom. There is no other God like this. My prayer for you today, first of all, is that you would know the fullness of that freedom that Jesus came to proclaim. The spiritual freedom and the physical freedom that he came to proclaim over whatever area you feel captive in today. But my prayer is also that you would know the gratitude the joy, the, the thankfulness for all that it cost him to accomplish it for you. He brought us freedom. It's a freedom that comes at no cost to us, but it didn't come with no cost. It came at the cost of his life. I'm going to take a moment to just pray right now, and I'm going to ask I want to pray for you particularly because I know that there are many in here who are longing for freedom in lots of different ways. I'm just going to ask if we could bow our heads and close our eyes. If there's someone in here this morning and you just say, man, I, 
I know I need freedom. I'm longing for this freedom. Would you pray for me? Can I ask you to just raise your hand? Anyone at all who just feels like, I know I need that freedom. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, you proclaimed an amazing freedom that can be found in you. You came to bring it about. You brought about the freedom from captivity to sin. And so, God, whatever sin threatens to hold us captive this morning, we embrace and we receive the proclamation of freedom. The the trumpet blast of liberty, we want to hear that over our sin struggles this morning. We can know freedom. God, for each one here who this morning is struggling in some physical way, God, you are able. We believe you can restore us physically as well. In places that we need healing, you can raise us up. And I pray this morning by the power of your spirit, we might see amazing works take place and see healing take place for those who are struggling in physical ways. Would you bring it about? These are real, true freedoms that we can know and experience today. And I pray for those who are longing for freedom and haven't experienced it yet. God, would you cause us not to fall away? May we not lose our faith and trust in you when you choose to presently not free us. We know you can, and we know one day you will bring it about, either in this life or the next. So we receive that proclamation, and we believe you. Accomplish it today by the power of your spirit, I ask. In Jesus' name.